Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I'm getting teased. I'm going to throw food. And so I started throwing food in the lunchroom, and I threw food at teachers. That was my favorite thing. <laughs> so, or I would throw food at someone who was teasing me or whatever. And, um, you know, here again we have kind of an escalation in, in the symptoms as symptoms being um, acting out. And uh, so I was just trying to, to feel better about myself and then I started really pushing it and um, and I, I basically got kicked out of all my honors classes. You're listening to the words of Justin Jorgensen as he describes how mental illness started to affect his life at a very young age and how as a Christian he's dealt with the stigma of mental illness into his adult years. Welcome to the program Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. I'm Five Stone Media's Executive Director, Steve Johnson, and our host is Paul Johnson, the lead pastor of Ridgewood Church and a trauma survivor himself experiencing the death of his first wife and then the tragic homicide of his 21-year-old son. So this really is a survivor-to-survivor conversation. This is the first of two parts with Justin, and here to begin that conversation is Pastor Paul. We are so glad to have you here on Life Support. What we try to do during our time together is talk about trauma and suffering and mental illness and We can all discover together how Jesus shows up in these situations and how we can learn more about him. And so I'm really, really excited to talk to our next guest. His name is Justin Jorgensen, and he's got quite a story to tell. He's very brave for being here. And Justin, thank you so much for dropping by. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. So you are a local guy, right? We're do you live? We're, we we record this show in Minneapolis, so whereabouts uh, do you live in the Twin Cities? I live in Prior Lake. Which is a beautiful community about 25, 30 minutes south of Minneapolis, maybe, southwest. Yeah. yeah. And um, you've lived there your whole life in Prior Lake? No, I've been all over. I lived in Montana, I lived in Bemidji, lived in, in downtown Minneapolis, and lived here in Prior Lake as well. Okay, so let's talk about the beginnings of your story and you talked about living in different places and this story starts when you were really young and one of the striking things about it when I was kind of reading through your story is how young you were when things began to develop why don't you just tell us a little bit about where you grew up and and when some of these mental illness things began to uh, be noticed by you and how you began to deal with that yeah absolutely um, well, like you said, it, it was very early. Uh, I developed depression as, as a youngster, um, you know, and I think the first time that I really felt like I was depressed, even though I couldn't put it in words that that was what I was feeling, was in the first grade. Uh, sh- shortly after that, um, you know, it was around... Uh, maybe 
third or fourth grade, probably third grade, that I had my first suicidal ideations, which is, um, you know, just thinking about suicide um, and, uh, you know, thinking how I would do it and thinking through that whole process of what that would be like. And it was, it just seemed like the natural thing to do. I, I couldn't elaborate on my pain because um, I was young. And so a lot of my depression came out as somatic um, symptoms, which means that I was feeling p physical pain as a result of the mental anguish. Um, you know, and like I said, when I was really young, I, I started having some su suicidal thoughts, and they stayed with me up until just a few years ago. Um, so, yeah, it was very early. Yeah, I can already hear parents saying to themselves, what? First grade? Because we look at these uh, innocent kids that live in our homes and we think, well, they look fine. Did anybody else have an understanding, do you remember, back then of what you were going through? Or did you basically have to kind of go through this on your own? Yeah, I went through my mental health struggles on my own up until my senior year in high school. Even past this senior year, um, it was a solitary journey. Uh, it's not that people didn't care or wouldn't have cared if they had known. I didn't know how to ask for help. And um, one problem with the somatization, um, having the somatic symptoms, is that it doesn't come out across as depression unless you know it, unless you know that you're looking for those sort of things. You're basically being diagnosed physically. Yeah. But the mental part is being missed, likely, because they're trying to figure out what's wrong with your body. Absolutely, yeah. And again, that's something that probably most parents don't think of first. They think of, you know, it's always physical, and a, a child this young couldn't really um, have that. And I would guess at that age you don't even really know how to articulate how you're feeling, huh? No, I did not. I I didn't know, even even as a high schooler, there was difficulty knowing how to express what I was feeling. Like I would, I would um, walk into high school and I would feel like the a weight of bricks had fallen on my shoulders as I walked into the school, and that. It's to me seems like classic, um, maybe anxiety, but definitely some depression um, associated with the school. And I got in a lot of trouble too. Uh, you know, I I really pushed it from um, seventh grade on um, because I was looking for a way to feel better, and um, I it kind of helped to get in trouble. Yeah, and you were part of your story is that you grew up in a home that you had lots of foster kids, right, coming in and out of your home, Christian family. Mm -hmm. So did that further isolate you, having that much activity in your home? Or as you look back, what kind of effect do you think that might have had? Yeah, you know, it would be really simple to say that I can blame my depression on having um, kids moving in and out through, through the home or that um, – 
we had foster kids that were the same age as us pretty consistently. And so as I got older, the kids were more and more um, disturbed. Um, and I had a couple really scary kids that were living with me. And, um, and then, and then after, after these kids, my parents were kind of like, okay, we're, we're Mm -hmm. done. We're, we can't do this anymore. Um, things are getting too heavy, but yeah, I think having foster kids wasn't helpful because there were short relationships. So you'd see, you'd meet someone, you'd become friends with them and then they'd be gone. And then also the fact that these kids came from troubled homes. Um, but, you know, I can't be like, I blame it on my parents or I blame it on the foster kids or anything like that because I think there was probably a predisposition to mental illness and then um, a bunch of things made it worse. Yeah, and we don't want to discourage people from... In de- you know, doing foster care. It's just a really interesting kind of a, a setup that you had to live with there. It's not a normal kind of a family uh, setup. So y- what do you remember back when you this, when this all first began in, you know, your, your elementary years and in, in, in junior high, middle school? Does, did the church have any part in this for you? Was that a safe place for you? Or was it just kind of disconnected from what you were feeling inside? I always felt pretty happy in church. Um, it was a it was a good place. It was safe. Uh, I had friends, um, people that I cared for deeply. We had um, good, caring adults who were part of my life as church members. So yeah, I mean, it, church was great, um, but. You know, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm jumping the gun just a little bit here, but I don't think the church really had an opportunity or could have done anything different to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there's things uh, that are, are great that church can do, like um, just being aware of mental illness and, ma- and destigmatizing it. Uh, making it no- normal, normalizing it. But there's also, um, you know, I mean, things were really different in the the 80s and 90s as far as mental health goes. And so for for the church to have, have specifically tried to um, take action at that time would have been bizarre because mental health wasn't as... Um, as prominent as it is now. Yeah, and we are going to talk about that before we're finished in that, because I know that you have feelings about a pastoral role uh, in mental health, and I happen to agree with your point of view on that, so we want to make sure we get to that as we go along. Okay, let's go back now to you're developing this um, depression starting to happen. It's affecting your body. You mentioned in seventh grade you started to act out. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did that look like in your life? Uh, well, I, I guess the cause of it, first off, was that I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and fly planes. But it was, 
it wasn't in the cards. My eyes weren't good enough, and I wasn't getting good enough grades to go to the Air Force Academy. And so I, I decided, well, I see these kids who get in trouble getting attention, and um, they they seem to kind of enjoy getting in trouble. And I made a very cognizant decision, a very a very thought-out decision to start getting in trouble. And I just started getting in trouble, and pretty soon I was doing everything that I could to get kicked out of class. I would, I would talk during class. I would talk with friends. I would throw stuff. I, um, and I eventually I got kicked out of class so much that they just put a chair out in the hallway for me to do class. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't I mean, I suppose it hindered me academically, but it wasn't – I still passed my classes, and so that wasn't really an issue. But, yeah, I mean, in seventh grade, I just said I'm going to do everything I can to get in trouble. I'm not going to do anything really major. I'm I'm not going to um, beat kids up or, or anything like that, but I'm going to talk and I'm going to – throw food and just get in as much trouble as I can and push the envelope as as far to the edge as I can and then um, see what happens. Now, was that a way of getting attention? Was it a way of numbing the pain or shoving it kind of off to the side? Yeah, it was It was numbing the pain. Like, I hurt. I hurt so bad at that time mm-hmm. that I just wanted to feel something different and it was it was kind of a it was kind of a rush it was kind of kind of made the pain go away a little bit um so yeah it it just um i don't know know beyond that you know beyond um numbing the pain and and as a way to get attention and just kind of feel Mm -hmm. um because uh, I, I I guess I had kind of um, blunted emotions, um, so my my emotions. I didn't really. I just hurt, but I didn't. I didn't really feel a lot of other things. Um, so it was it was just kind of a matter of feeling something. Yeah, and that's a good practical takeaway already in your story is that if you have a child neighbor child, child at church, who's acting out. Don't just assume, you know, so often you hear the terms, you know, he's a bad kid or she's a bad, you know, she's just a bad influence or whatever. There might be something underneath the surface that's going on there that you have no idea. So number one, have grace. And number two, um, you know, seek help maybe for that child. Yeah. I'm really actually glad that you mentioned that um, because – that's the thing is is like if 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 someone would have noticed if someone would have said here's a kid who who's a great kid not ever getting in trouble um gets decent grades and then all of a sudden there's this shift this change i i feel like maybe someone should have noticed mm-hmm. But again, it was the 80s and 90s, so it's a diff- it was a different world back then. Hopefully, we've made some progress in that. Um, by the way, we're talking with Justin Jorgensen, who's our guest here on Life Support, and it's a great Minnesota name, by the way, I've got to say. We like Johnsons, Jorgensons, Andersons, and the like here uh, in Minnesota. So he 
is talking to us about some of his struggle early on with mental health. And thank you for sharing all of this. So now you're you're moving through your middle school years. You're into high school. Um, what was changing? Anything? Or when did this really start to become um, really a problem where you began to grapple with some heavier issues? Well, um, let's see. So high school happened, and I had some some good years um in high school i felt pretty good i was in sports and and um you know there were there were a couple good years there um and then um i guess what happened was i i was teased a little bit and teased by my friends um and it wasn't necessarily um real significant but I that really bothered me and so at one point I was just like okay so I'm getting teased I'm gonna throw food and so I started throwing food in the lunchroom and I threw food at teachers that was my favorite thing (laughs) (laughs) so or I would throw food at someone who was teasing me or whatever and um you know here again we have kind of an escalation in in the symptoms as symptoms being um acting out and uh so i was just trying to to feel better about myself and and then i started really pushing it in um and i i basically got kicked out of all my honors classes and uh um i over my 10th 11th and 12th grade it kind of progressed but by my senior year I had like 110 days of in-school suspension Hmm. Um, I think there's like 200 and some days that you go to school so I didn't spend much time in class I was mostly sitting in the detention room uh, being um, being punished for misbehavior and I, they decided Justin can't contain himself in the lunchroom, so we're going to just not let him go to the lunchroom. He has to eat it in the detention room. And, um, you know, there were drugs, but it, it wasn't really um, super major. I mean, uh, but I, 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 the, the drugs were just kind of like a symptom again you know, of of just not really caring and doing whatever. And I would imagine all that time away from your classmates and in the detention hall probably maybe added to your anxiety and depression and how you felt about yourself and all those things? Yeah, I felt actually better when I was in the detention room. There weren't people mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about um, the, the angst that I felt. Uh, and um yeah so it was interesting and where was god in this whole thing at that point in your life you know god was god was um god was there uh i wasn't real you know i mean 
there's so much going on. I wasn't really focused on on church or church activities or anything. Um, I didn't really have any moments where I was like, um, "Yeah, that's God speaking to me. I need to listen to Him and and like figure this out." Because I was too busy just trying to survive. Yeah. So you're finished high school, and then what happens? So over my senior year, I real early in my senior year, in October or so, I started to develop symptoms of bipolar 1. Um, and over the year, I developed these delusions. I de- ha- started having major, major hallucinations. Um, uh, and, and so, like, I would have these hallucinations that were part of a delusional complex where I believed things about the world that weren't real, that weren't true, and uh, I would experience them as in a hallucination. Um, and so then I went to college. My I went to college in Missoula, Montana, and um, I don't know how I survived. To be honest with you, um, people have commented that you know that is really evident that God was watching over me during this time because I was like just I was dangerous to myself because of the the um it's just like meeting random people and going to their house or um just things that I could have gotten hurt and I didn't and so looking back I really see God protecting me during this time Hmm. uh and as as i think about it you know i mean there was never really any uh any any lots of dangerous things but never anything that actually turned out me getting hurt so in the midst of all this struggle god was still as you look back now had his hand on you and your life, guiding you through this. Yeah, God has been there in my life in varying degrees. Uh, and it's it's actually pretty profound to think that I've survived this long, um, all the suicide attempts, all the dangerous activities that I was doing in college. Um, and... And, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, after I came back from, Minis- from Montana um, on, on winter break, I'll give you just a couple of examples of, sure. of the things I was doing. I, I, was, I, I went downtown, and I was so out of it that I accidentally drove up 394 the wrong way you know how it dumps into minneapolis i went the wrong way and and i was fortunate enough to not get hit by a car uh there was um there was uh i had this delusion that i had a different part of me like a spirit part that would go around and hunt demons and 
Um, so I'm at one point headed out to Montana, and I drove straight through 24 hours. Um, and as I'm coming into the middle part of Montana, I saw the world end. And so I'm like driving along, watching this hallucination in my brain play out and these angels and demons fighting and I'm driving along 70, 80, 90 miles an hour and somehow I managed to get there, get get to Missoula without driving off the road. Wow, that's amazing. And I want to pick that up next time we're together because that's a fascinating way to end, but I know there's a story of redemption in there too. So There is. Yeah. Justin, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it so very much. You know, what Justin is voicing is what we know from Scripture, that, you know, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. And so if you are struggling with mental health, um, number one, God is with you. Number two, reach out for help. Don't try to do this on your own. We've talked about the 80s and 90s. We're in 2020. There are resources available to you. So please don't be afraid to get help. But we'll talk more with Justin next time we get together as well. This is Life Support. So glad you joined us. We want to thank our partners, Faith Radio, Five Stone Media, and Ridgewood Church. On Faith Radio, you can access that network at myfaithradio.com. Here at the church, Ridgewood Church, myrwc.org slash life support. And you can find this in video form on fivestonemedia.com. Love to see you on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on Life Support. Join Pastor Paul and Justin again next time on Life Support, a co-production of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and Five Stone Media. And for a video version of this conversation, log on to fivestonemedia.com slash life support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.